Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the co-hosts of the Neighborhood Podcast. I go by the name of Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? It's Kevin Valentin. We got a lot of stuff to talk about today, guys. Kyle, what's on the agenda? Yeah, so first things first, we'll obviously go over the news in the NBA pertaining to LaMarcus Aldridge signing a veteran minimum deal to play with the Brooklyn Nets for the rest of the season. And then we'll also talk about Andre Drummond recently agreed to a buyout with the Cleveland Cavaliers. He has now signed a one-year deal with the Los Angeles Lakers to play out for the rest of the season. After that, we'll talk a little bit about the NFL expanding its regular season to 17 games. And then after that, we'll talk about the U.S. men's soccer team not being in the Olympics for not the first, not the second, but the third straight Olympics. And Kevin and I, we don't usually talk about soccer that much, but we believe that this was a topic that needed to be addressed simply because it's just unfortunate that the to that the U.S. men's soccer team has not had any sort of success to even make it into the Olympics in over a decade. So we'll touch on that a little bit later. But like I said in the intro, we'll go over Andre Drummond signing with the Lakers, LaMarcus Aldridge signing with the Nets. So when you look at these two moves, it definitely helps out both teams with their depth. The Lakers right now, they've had LeBron James and Anthony Davis out of the lineup for several weeks at this point. LeBron James has only been out for a couple of weeks, but Anthony Davis has been out almost two months at this point. When you look at Brooklyn right now, Brooklyn had some depth issues after the James Harden trade, but after acquiring Blake Griffin in the buyout market and now LaMarcus Aldridge as well, it definitely strengthens their overall team as far as their depth goes into the end of the regular season and then going into the playoffs as well. So, Kev, let me just get your initial thoughts on both the moves of LaMarcus Aldridge signing with the Nets and Andre Drummond signing with the Lakers. So my biggest thing right now uh, is that these two great players, obviously one right now being in a better predicament, being Andre Drummond because he is younger, he is one of the best at his position, Um, and LaMarcus is one of the used to be one of the better power forwards in the league back in the day, you know, back on Portland with uh, Brandon Roy and those boys. And then obviously the earlier stages of his San Antonio tenure. I, well, first of all, I'm happy for the two of them both going out and playing for a competitor. Obviously uh, Andre has been plagued with unfortunately playing for the Detroit Pistons, having first round exits multiple years, and then going over to Cleveland after LeBron's departure. So we all know that when that happens, Cleveland's pretty much bottom of the barrel. And then LaMarcus going from Portland to then compete in the postseason with the Spurs. So, again, you know, they are uh, they, they both took an improvement. They, they've both taken a step higher or a step further in their careers, and they're both going to be able to be put in positions to compete for a title. Um, in LaMarcus's case, uh, I don't want to say that the move doesn't make a difference. Like you said, it adds depth. I know that LaMarcus's numbers haven't exactly been phenomenal this season, 
but he is 35 and he is, you know, kind of coming up there and in age with the with minute restrictions. He's had some injuries in his tenures in San Antonio. He's been in the discussions and the buyout market for pretty much the latter of the season. So maybe he wasn't trying as hard. Maybe LaMarcus wasn't putting in much effort. Why risk getting hurt when you potentially get bought out and then sign another deal? Um, you know, the list of reasons kind of go on and on. We do know that Brooklyn has a uh, kind of a plethora of bigs right now with Blake Griffin, uh, DeAndre Jordan, LaMarcus Aldridge. You know, Kevin Durant is going to slide over and play the four sometimes, depending on the lineup that Steve Nash will run. But LaMarcus's ability to stretch the floor be able to play that five position, be able to knock down threes, extended mid-range jump shots, and be an efficient free throw shooter makes me believe that this is a better move for the Nets because he gives you some form of consistency. He may not be the biggest rebounding threat in the world. He may not be the biggest defensive threat. But when you have DeAndre Jordan on the court and Kevin Durant and you know all, all those other people that can rebound, uh, I feel like LaMarcus can solely focus on what he was brought there to do, which was to score and, you know, kind of guide, if not push the second unit on the floor. Um, in regards to Andre Drummond, uh, I think he's going to be a great asset to the Lakers because they are missing the bigs that they got rid of this offseason, as well as what they've been missing with Anthony Davis. Uh, AD can kind of focus a little bit more on the def defensive uh, side of things in terms of his one-on-one -on -one match. If you want to have to rotate as hard with Andre's down in the paint, um, and he can focus a lot more on his scoring. We all know that Anthony Davis is one of the perennial scorers in this league, easily over a 20 points per game average scorer in the game. So, I mean, uh, when AD does get back, he won't have to shoulder as much as a defensive anchor in terms of playing the five position when he wanted to play the four. And obviously we all know that Andre Drummond is 27, 28 years old. He's a career 13 and 13 rebounds per game center. He's averaging 17 points this season. So he's going to give the Lakers what they need, which is rim protection. And they're going to need uh, some great offensive rebounds to kick out to those playmakers when they get back and healthy. So, um, um, like I said, I'm happy for both. I'm leaning towards LaMarcus' situation being just a little bit better because I feel like he fits the system. Um, I was listening a little bit to Shannon and Skip this morning on Undisputed. And Skip did bring up some good points. Um, Andre Drummond is still a very bad free throw shooter. So in late games, you can't even play him to protect the rim because it's going to become hack-a-shack, except it's going to be hack-a-drummond. And then obviously, um, for whatever reason, he's not a very efficient post scorer. He is, I think, third or fourth in the NBA in post possessions at, I think, I don't know, 17 or 13%, but he makes less than one point per attempt. So that is absolutely ridiculous. He's one of the worst at, you know, percentages when he goes for those layups, goes for those hooks, you know, tries to draw contact. And he's not a great free throw percentage shooter. So it's like Andre does bring great stuff to the defense, but he is a little bit of a liability in terms of the traditional offense that the Lakers would try to run, which would be a small ball, quick, spread the floor shooting lineup. So, I mean, you know, maybe the pick and roll with LeBron James would be good. Maybe it won't be, but it does give the, the, the Lakers what they need, which is defense and it gives them rebounding. So uh, at the end of the day, both moves are good. But uh, like we were talking about before the episode, I think that this move was kind of predicted. Um, you know, like every, kind of every buyout, every free agent situation that's come across this offseason so far, or excuse me, during this season so far, it's been, well, is he going to sign with Brooklyn or is he going to sign with the Lakers? So uh, I mean, it, it, it's kind of showing, you know, leading up to what we all believe to be a, a Nets and Lakers finals appearance, depending the, uh, the health of the superstars on both teams. Obviously we know that KD and Kyrie have been out for multiple reasons and AD and LeBron are out with their injuries. So, I mean, if, if, if they're able to overcome injuries and, and, and carry themselves throughout the postseason, I do expect fully with these acquisitions to both teams that 
they're going to be the expected finals matchup and we're going to get another KD versus LeBron matchup. Yeah, I'm going to slightly disagree with you here simply because I think Andre Drummond's impact to what I think the Lakers are going to utilize him for and I think it's going to be slightly more effective than I think how the Nets are going to use LaMarcus Aldridge in their sim- in their system simply because I think when the Lakers were starting to pursue Andre Drummond, they needed to address the biggest hole on the team, which currently at this point was their defense outside of like LeBron James and Anthony Davis being out of the lineup. Their defense was struggling for the last two months or so without AD in the lineup. You lose one of your defensive anchors. You're clearly not rebounding as well as you were before the injury that he had with his Achilles slash calf slash whatever it was. And when you look at the Lakers, when they were going those two months with LeBron carrying the team, they had the score because they were giving up points on the other end. So I think bringing Drummond into the fold here will definitely help out more on the defensive end. And look, they may just utilize him simply for defensive purposes primarily. Could they get him to chip in and get maybe 10 to 15 points every now and then? Yeah, sure. But I think they're going to love his ability to get rebounds. I think he's going to be a great just down low presence. Don't be surprised if he probably averages maybe a block or two during his time with the Lakers, just because look, he's one of the taller defenders in the league and just having that big body down there to just protect the paint down low. is definitely going to help. And I think that's one of the things that the Lakers have really been missing this year compared to last year is that last year, their front court was amazing just because they had so much depth at that four and five spot. So this move definitely helps them kind of recapture that same type of setup that they had last year. Is it going to be as effective as it was last year? I doubt it, but it's going to be something. And it's currently better than anything that the Lakers currently have at that five spot, just because Marcus Gasol has really kind of been a shell of himself this year. I think the Lakers were expecting a little more production out of Gasol this year. It just really hasn't panned out to the way they thought it would. So I do think that Drummond will improve things de- defensively for the Lakers. And then just to kind of touch on the, the Aldridge signing with the Nets, I think when you look at LaMarcus Aldridge, the Nets signed a 35-year-old Aldridge. This is not LaMarcus Aldridge back when he was in the days of playing with the Portland Trail Blazers. This is not when he first came to the Spurs where he was almost averaging a career high in points around 23 and a half points per game. But He's going to be a solid role player for the Nets. I imagine they're probably going to utilize him more for the offense, probably more than the defense. I think just having the body down there, he is, I believe, 6'9", 6'10". So he's going to be 6'11". of 6'11". So he's going to be a, a decent presence down low. I just think they're probably going to utilize his ability to kind of hit those mid-range jumpers. If they need him to space the floor and maybe hit a three or two, if they get if he gets the opportunity to, I think they'll definitely try to utilize him in that way. But he is 35. And I don't know how many minutes he's going to be able to play in the system when you already have superstars in the team like Kyrie, James Harden, Kevin Durant, and DeAndre Jordan all playing the majority of the minutes right now. So could I see them using Aldridge for maybe 20 minutes? Yeah, maybe 20 minutes a game wouldn't sound too bad. I think it's really just kind of how they split time between Marcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin since they kind of do play the same position. I know Blake Griffin's a little bit shorter 
than Aldridge, but not by much. So I do like both signings for both teams. I'm just leaning a little bit more towards the Drummond one because I think the Lakers really need his defensive presence badly because they really haven't had any sort of solid defense since 80 left. And then it was exacerbated once LeBron left because now the Lakers don't have anything to match the opposing team's offense with, and they're definitely going to give up points in the process. So I think I give the edge slightly to Drummond and the Lakers here over Aldridge and the Nets, but that's just me. Yeah, no, I mean, both of them, like we said, are, are going to be great assets to teams that desperately need something from both of them. Uh, obviously, Brooklyn needed the depth and the scoring in the second unit. LA needed the starter right then and there with the rebounding and the available and the ability to block shots. So they both are getting a position that they very well much need, especially in this current time. But uh, I don't really think it makes a difference because at the end of the day, man, these these guys, these 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 two players, it's just they're already adding to an, a gauntlet, a a an arsenal of just elite players on both teams. Obviously, a lot of people, excuse me, are creating the narrative for Brooklyn. Brooklyn's assembling a super team, or Brooklyn's getting all of these all stars. Like people need to calm down and stop. They like people are acting like they're getting Blake Griffin from Lob City. They're getting Lamarcus Aldridge from the Portland Trailblazer days. You know what I mean? Like they went out and they got Kevin Durant from the early stages of his Oklahoma City days where he was just dropping fucking 30 every night, what it seemed like. Obviously, Kevin Durant is still Kevin Durant, but it's like they're making it seem like they assembled the Avengers in their prime. Like you said, Lamarcus is in his 30s. His mid to late 30s. Blake is in his 30s. Obviously, Kyrie and, or excuse me, KD and James Harden are in their 30s. They're playing a lot more efficiently in their 30s, but they've gotten together later in their career. I actually saw a funny post. Someone said, I'm getting major 2003, 2004 Laker vibes when they had like Carl Malone on the Lakers and all. Like they had freaking, what was it? Carl Malone, Gary Payton, Tim Hardaway. Like they, had, they just had a bunch of old guys, you know what I'm saying, playing with Shaq and Kobe. And it's like, I found that funny because LaMarcus is at that kind of like that, that ladder, the, the, the tail end of his career. And, you know, Blake Griffin, unless he kind of turns it around and, and shows that he can still be productive, his last few years in Detroit were kind of abysmal. So it did look like he was kind of coming on the downward side too. But when you put LaMarcus as a starter on a, a Western competitive team in the Western Conference with the young athletic bigs where he's losing that step to defend, when you put Blake Griffin in a, in a, in a, in a conference where – Giannis Antetokounmpo is there and a bunch of other young athletic three and fours are there. Blake can't defend that either. So it's like when you put them in a second unit or when you be, when you put them in a system where they already know where they're going to be you utilized best, that makes more sense. They don't have to be the star of the team. They don't have to be, you know, the first or second option. They can take a step back and they can, you know, well, if I'm open, I'm open. If not, it, it, you know, I'm not going to get mad. I'm not get looks. They know why they're here. They're there to play a role. They signed the deals that they did for a reason. And they know that they're playing this game to win a chip. And that is solely it. Yeah. When you look at like Blake and LaMarcus Aldridge, their situations, look, they've already been through their primes. They've already gotten the majority of the money that they're going to make in their NBA life already. So they're kind of on that. I don't want to say like they're on the back end of their career. Like they only have a year left, like a year or two left in the league. And then they're done. I'm not saying that, but those guys are experienced veterans and they assess the situation that they had going into Brooklyn this year. Look, where they're look, they're going to have to make sacrifices, and if that means that they're going to have to scale back their ability to just play a decent role presence coming off the bench, 
maybe only playing 15, 20 minutes a game compared to probably the 30 to 35, if not 40 minutes they used to play back in the day, then so be it. I think I, I think for them at this point, the most important thing to them is just trying to get the Nets to the point where they can compete for an NBA title. I think they were already kind of at that point already, but when you add Aldridge and Griffin to the mix, I think it definitely bolsters their chances to get to the finals and win it as well. I just think with Drummond, Drummond's situation is a little bit different simply because I think he's going to have a more direct impact on the Lakers at the start compared to Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge. I think LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin are going to have more passive impacts where I think Drummond is going to be a direct impact immediately because the Lakers need the defensive help as soon as possible to kind of shore up that hole that they've had on that side of the ball for the last really two months with AD being out of the lineup. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to be fun to watch. I'm excited. If the matchup does happen, I know for a fact, I'm going to be glued to the TV. You know what I'm saying? Like I said earlier, a KD and Braun finals matchup again is something that I'm not going to be mad at. So we'll just, we'll just have to see what happens. But I will ask you this, and this is something that we do need to discuss here. Do you think that there's somewhat of an element at play here where when you see these moves, where you see these big name players go out into the buyout market and the two names that get brought up for teams that they're going to play for are the Lakers and the Nets. Do you have a sense or do you believe that the NBA is too predictable in general when you see these guys make these moves to get on championship contending teams just to go for a title? for the last half of the season and into the playoffs? I mean, yes and no. I don't think it's staged to the point or to, to the way that I think you were leading the question. I don't think it's anything of that sort. I think that you have to kind of use your, your common sense here and say, well, they're both not doing very well in the teams that they're on. They're both useful to some extent. They're both older and the two best teams in the league need help. So it's like, it, it makes sense. And neither of them have championships. So it's like they would like a ring too, you know, to say, you know, I went and got one. Even if they only play half of a season, they can say that they have a ring, they won a championship, and they can kind of hang it up saying, knowing that, you know, they didn't just play for the money. They don't have to live with that regret. That option to play with a good team kind of came back because we all know Blake Griffin had the opportunity to re-sign in L.A. with the Clippers to try to run it back, and he just chose the left. And we all know Andre Drummond had the opportunity to opt out of his contract this season to go and sign with a better team, but he didn't want to pass up the money. So these particular players, you know what I mean? Like in LaMarcus Aldridge, we know that him going to San Antonio, knowing Tim Duncan was on his way out. We didn't know the combination that was going to happen with the, whatever players were going to come through. Kawhi ends up leaving to Bart Rosen gets inserted. The team is pretty much never the same again. And, you know, Greg Popovich is in and out of the lineup between Tim Duncan having to take the starting role or the coaching role due to health issues and whatnot. So, I mean, San Antonio kind of was also in another situation of, well, if he opts in, then we have to pay him this money, which he did because LaMarcus already knew that if he doesn't, he'll never get the money that he was going to be owed again. So it's, it's not that surprising to me, man. I really just, you know, when you see a big name, you see the buyout, you're like, all right, where's his best chance to win? Bam, bam, Brooklyn, LA. It's just, it sucks because it kind of makes the NBA almost unappealing. And I know a lot of other teams are like, well, that's not fair. You have, they're not thinking business-wise. Why would I go to a team that's got to struggle through the West or struggle through the East when I can just go to the top of one of the two? Like, I, I, I don't have to play as hard. I'm part of a better team. 
it's expected because the two top players in the league are respectively on these other teams, no disrespect to Philly being the number one seed, but like Brooklyn is favored for a reason because you have the three-headed monster of KD, Kyrie, and Harden. And you obviously have the defending champion LA Lakers favorited because they have LeBron James and AD. Why would they not want to go play with them and make their lives easier? So to answer your question, yes and no. But at the end of the day, it is what it is because they both knew that they wanted to compete and their best chance was those two teams. I think it depends on a certain extent to just your general awareness of the teams that play here. When you look at the Brooklyn Nets, for example, with the signings of Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge, you and I have been paying attention to the Nets the entire season. And we both discussed that they had some major depth issues after trading for James Harden and the amount of capital that was given up in the process to acquire James. So it didn't surprise me that the Nets made these moves to sure up their overall depth on their team because they definitely needed it. And with the Lakers, with Drummond, look, they haven't had Anthony Davis in the lineup, like we said, for two months. And when you add somebody like Drummond into the mix, it definitely goes a long way into at least filling the void that Anthony Davis had while he was on the roster before he got hurt. So it does help the Lakers out a little bit. But if you're looking at this from a casual fan perspective, I'm not even saying that you have to have an in-depth knowledge of the league. Just somebody that kind of loosely pays attention to the NBA in, by and large. You could think that, okay, Brooklyn and the Lakers are probably two of the best teams simply because Brooklyn has KD, Kyrie, and James Harden all on one team. The Lakers are the NBA champions from last year. They've got LeBron and AD. And these three guys in Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Andre Drummond, they went to two of the best teams, one in the Eastern Conference with Drummond, excuse me, not Drummond, with Aldridge and Blake Griffin, and then Drummond to the Lakers. So I want to say that it's just, it does give the sense that it is predictable simply because those guys ended up going to the best teams you could say in the conferences. Now the Lakers aren't currently the best team in the Western conference right now. It's Utah, but everybody expects that once AD and LeBron return, that they're going to be in championship form by the time the playoffs roll around. So they're not really a team that people want to see in the first or second round of the playoffs. And then in the later rounds of the playoffs, it's even worse. It's just, I can understand if people are loosely following the NBA thinking that, oh yeah, this is totally, I'm not going to say it's rigged from their perspective, but it's just like, yeah, go figure. Like these guys are going to the two best teams in the respective conferences, even though the Lakers don't have the best record. I can understand where somebody can make the argument and show probably a little bit of displeasure in those three guys going to the two top teams. But I mean, the Western conference is still pretty, is still competitive. You still got Utah at the top spot. You got the Suns and you got the Clippers. So we'll see what happens, but I can understand where there's some displeasure that comes along with these signings just because of how predictable it is. It's not even that it gets predictable. People have to understand Andre Drummond's case is different. Andre Drummond's younger. Andre Drummond has a lot of years left, God, God willing, to be as productive as he's been. LaMarcus Aldridge... Was there another market for him? Like, like what? Why would he Miami? want to take a? 
okay, Miami, but it, how is Miami doing right this second? Is Miami struggling? struggling? They're struggling. I just, Why would he want to go to another struggling team? I'm just basing that off of the report that there was major interest from Miami's side saying that they wanted to go after Aldridge. And then I believe, I think Adrian Wojnarowski dropped the bomb a couple of days ago saying that, that he's going to Brooklyn. So that did, it did surprise me a little bit simply just because off of the initial reports after the buyout took place in San Antonio, that Miami wasn't even in the mix and that he ends up going to Brooklyn. It's, I was just kind Obviously, of surprised you know, by that. We'll, we'll, we'll get the full details as to what happened probably later in the season as to why he chose Brooklyn or, you know, what happened that he didn't go to Miami. Chase but the rank. point I'm trying to, the, the, the point I'm trying to make is here. So Andre Drummond had a lot of uh, a, a greater market for his talents. You know, Dallas was looking at him. The Lakers were looking at him, Brooklyn and several other teams. Mm-hmm. Right. So Dallas is currently sitting right now at the, at the eighth spot. We just went on a, I think a two game skid. We lost to the Pacers and we lost to the, uh, the Pelicans this weekend. Uh, Luka Doncic did not play in either game and Chris Porzingis did not play in the Pelicans game. Regardless, we lost two games in a row. Why would Andre Drummond want to go to an eight seated team with a team that's battling injuries inconsistencies on the defensive end can we give him money long term yes but if he has an opportunity to play for the lakers right now bro i'm not even looking at dallas right now like i know i'm gonna get a payday after this season because i'm still andre drummond and i still bring down damn near 14 boards a game if i want to go and get a a a, a halfy of a ring a semi ring this is what i call acquisitions this late in the season i'm gonna go get it because that's hardware that i can retire with and say at least i got it all right let me go make some more money Mm-hmm. so you know it, it, it's their best chance to win like you said you know what i'm saying they don't, they, these, these players don't want to suffer they don't want to buy out and then go suffer again they, they don't want to go get bought out and go to some shitty ass team and be on a worse situation than they were before well i think to a certain extent too and this may have you know some undertones that go along with it but look if drummond goes to the lakers and he's a major piece in them winning back-to-back titles this year, that's going to bode extremely well for him in free agency because it, it'll maximize his value. So he could be looking at a possible, like you said, a, another big payday. He's only 27, 28 years old, so he still has some good years left in the league for what he can do. So if he goes out, averages maybe 10, 15 points a game, maybe averages 10 rebounds a game, averages a double-double altogether, and is a major piece into why the Lakers win back-to-back championships. I'm just saying hypothetically. That's going to bode very well for him in free agency, and he's going to get probably somewhere in between probably a 25 to $30 million a year contract for how long, I don't know. But it we does know set teams them up are willing well. to pay it because they, they need it. Yeah, but it sets him up very well for the future, especially for the next probably three to four years if he goes out and balls out for the Lakers, specifically yeah. in Drummond's case. So it's just it's, it's it's an exciting situation to see them, see where they fit, see how they work, see how they mesh. But nevertheless, like you said, it was somewhat predictable. Now, what wasn't predictable was the NFL adding this extra game in the regular season because we all know that last year they added the extra postseason game, and a lot of players weren't happy about that. Excuse me, the extra postseason seed, extra team. Um, players weren't happy about that, and obviously we've seen a lot of players over the last 24, 48 hours complain that they are not happy about this 17th game as well. 
Kyle, what are your thoughts, man? I just – the league seems like it's really chasing after a lot of revenue right now because the cap did go down and, you know, the NFL's TV deals aren't going as, as good as they thought. Their, you know, their view times and, and the money and investments, or should I say endorsements that they had. So do you, do you really think this was a desperation ploy for them to make, make up money somewhere else? This was expected, though. This wasn't just – this wasn't just a COVID thing either. There was – talk about this probably two to three years ago before the COVID. CBA, right? Yeah. And I, there's a lot of players that are obviously frustrated with adding another game to the regular season, just because it adds another game of wear and tear to their bodies where you're going to play four months and every Sunday, it's going to be, you know, you're lacing them up with the potential of playing the last play of your career. So for me, I don't necessarily think it's that bad as a fan because it's it's more football for you and I to watch and to analyze on a weekly basis. And it does kind of add it does add somewhat of a different mix now that you have an 18 week regular season instead of 17. So even playoff races could probably be significantly changed because now you have an extra game to make things up compared to when you had a 16 game season when you were limited to one less game. So it does kind of make things a little bit more compelling in that sense, but the players are obviously frustrated with this, but I don't really have a lot of sympathy for them because if they really didn't want to add another game to the regular season, they would have made that extremely clear in the CBA talks a couple of years ago. I imagine there are probably conversations behind closed doors about adding another game to the regular season. I imagine the players probably had some sort of say in the meeting, but they didn't make, they didn't make their presence or their voice really heard enough. If they were going to say, we don't look, we don't want to play 17 games in the regular season. It's just not worth it to us. It's not worth it to our bodies. And it's going to be a lot more harmful in the long run than it is just short-term with the revenue boost that the league is going to get. So like I said, it's not something that I like it simply because it's another week of football to talk about between you and I. But for the players that are really complaining about this, you had an opportunity to talk about this years ago when the CBA came up and you didn't make a forceful enough point back then to avert this situation that's currently going on right now. So it's that's where I'm I'm kind of like left in I don't want to say limbo here. I'm not really I'm kind of like in the middle. Like I understand where the player's frustration is and I understand where the money aspect or the revenue side from the NFL's perspective is. But these players complaining about this, I'm like yeah, like I get it, but it's like you had an opportunity to get this addressed years ago and you didn't really do much about it. So I know so it seems I know I know I know it seems harsh and I know it kind of seems maybe to the players a little tone deaf, but it's just, it kind of is what it is. The NFL was already addressing this years ago. They had the idea in the works and now it's here. So I think the players just kind of have to, I think they'll just adjust to it. They'll probably just kind of like, you know, bitch and moan about it now, but they'll get used to it. And that, so I know, I, like, I know it says, it, I know it sounds tone deaf, but it's just no, not at all. To, to, to give the audience a little bit of a, a backtrack, the CBA is a collective bargaining agreement that the 
NFLPA, the NFL Players Association, and the NFL do every couple of years where they discuss rules, regulations, percentages, payouts, contracts, pretty much everything that players and the league have to kind of come to common ground and common terms so that there's not a lockout. Because when they do not agree, we all know what happened in the summer of 2010, 2011, or 2011, 2012, whatever, whatever it was, um, where the NBA kind of shut down and had a full lockout because both parties could not get along. It's the same thing for the NFL. There's a player association per major sports league. So when they have these talks, they, the talks can last anywhere from a few weeks to a few months. They go out through the entire offseason. Players have certain representatives that speak on their behalf. And then obviously the NFL has their situation and their, their, their own legal staff that have to come to terms. So in these discussions, extended regular seasons, playoff seedings, um, TV endorsement deals, you name it, they talk about it and they have to all agree so that there's equal opportunity for everybody to feel that they're winning. Um, and for those of you that are unaware, once again, the players vote on these decisions, right? The Players Association gathers the information, brings it to the players, and the players have to vote. I don't know how many players get to vote. I don't know if it's everybody in the league. I don't know if it's a few people per team. But there were players a few years ago that were opposed to this. So did they have their opportunity? Yes. But there may have been more players that said, yeah, I want more money because obviously that's another paycheck. Mm-hmm. That's another opportunity to, to, to gain capital. That's another opportunity for incentives and bonuses. Oh, I got I got nine sacks this season. I need 10 to get this million dollar bonus. I got one more week to mm-hmm. do that. So yeah. I think that greed, to a certain extent, I don't speak for these players. I don't know any of them personally. I don't have any inside information that's, I'm telling you this, this is just opinion-based as we have to continue to reiterate weekly now. Um, some some of these players may have just said, you know what, I want more money. I'm going to put my life on the line another week. I want more. I want more bread. You know, I want more, I want more security. So I don't. I disagree with you completely because I feel like the there was a there was a lot more of a closer percentage, if I remember correctly, of people that didn't want it versus people that did. But people that wanted the extra game ended up winning that out. Again, don't quote me in the sense of it was uh, it was super close. But I do know that there were a lot of disgruntled players that didn't want this. And there was a potential lockout predicament that was looming over them if they didn't come over to, you know, some form of agreement. I think it was going to be 18 games, but they, they changed it to 17 or something like that. I know there was a disagreement in somewhere where they had to compromise. I can't remember exactly what it is. I know we can look it up, but the time is going to take to find that right now. That's my, my fault for being ill-prepared. But, you know, it is what it is at this point. I do agree with you. Players kind of have to get over it. Again, they are going to get compensated, but I do feel bad for those players that have vocally spoken up and have said, this is ridiculous. I meant that, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit on the older side. I don't want to be doing this right now. You know, like I don't have to do this, but it, 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 this is what we're, this is what, this is the hand they've been dealt and, and they got to kind of just, you know, like you said, they just got to deal with it. Well, I think a lot of those veterans probably have an issue probably more with the off season training and the training camp than they do the actual games because you could look up. They, look, they took preseason games, right? They took preseason games off and they cut OTAs in half. I mean, you could look across the board and this is pretty much a consistent theme for most of the older players in the league. I think it was Shannon Sharp who said, I think the last year that he ended up playing or he was thinking about maybe playing, but he just didn't want to go through training camp anymore just because it's just it's so it's so repetitive and obviously he doesn't have the same amount of just overall ability to do the things that he used to when he was younger. And, and it does, it does tax your body to a pretty significant extent when you're in your mid to late thirties compared to when you're in your twenties, where you can handle the 
that physical toll that it takes to just get ready to go into the season. So I think actually getting into the regular season for these guys is actually the hardest part. Once they're actually in the regular season, then it's just, yeah, they're fine. It's just like, they're not, they're not beating the hell out of each other on the practice field Monday through Friday, the week before a game during a regular season, they've got walkthroughs. They'll have film study. They'll do some light practices on probably Wednesday and Thursday. And then they may go a little bit heavier on Friday, but it depends if it's a away game, Friday could be their travel day or Saturday could be their travel day. So I think a lot of the issues that the players are probably going to have to deal with are not during the regular season. It's actually during training camp, just because that is usually the most physically tolling time on their bodies than it is on game day. Don't get me wrong. Game days can be brutal because you're going a hundred miles an hour on game day, but just to get ready to go into the season, that is extremely difficult. And for the older guys in the league, that's why a lot of them don't end up. They may, that's why a lot of those guys that may go into training camp thinking that they might play one more year and to retiring halfway through because they just can't take it. I know Reggie Wayne, one of the best wide receivers we've seen in this generation. I remember he signed with the Patriots a couple of years ago and couldn't do it. Ended up saying, you know what? It's just, it's too much on my body. And I'd rather bow out now than get into the regular season and be faced with the reality. It's like, oh my God, I can't do this anymore. Like, I don't know if anybody would ever do with what like Vontae Davis did where you retire at halftime in the first game of the year. Like that's, I think the situation that a lot of those guys, especially the older guys try to avert because you get somebody like Vontae Davis doing something like what he did when he was on the bills. You're never going back to an NFL locker locker room at that point. You'll never, it's just, that is like one of the like most cardinal sins you could ever do is like, you leave your quit on the team. You quit on your team at halftime. You didn't even get to the end of the game. He probably just thought in his head, all right, if I made one good play before halftime, I'm going to go out on that one. I'm going to go take a shower. I'm going to go get dressed, and I'm going to just hop in the car and call it a day and basically just F the guys in the locker room at that point. And I think that's what a lot of those older guys probably try to avoid. Yeah, no, I mean, I can go on and on about this. I do, I do know for a fact I have a different opinion on the uh... – NFL cutting the preseason basically in half and then cutting OTAs and mandatory mini camps and all that. Like they, they're, they're limiting the off season regiments that certain players need to improve. Rookies need the reps. Younger guys need the experience. You know what I'm saying? New players on new teams need all of the opportunities to gain the experience with their new teammates. Just because the older guys don't feel like doing it or don't want to do it to their bodies. Doesn't mean that that speaks volumes for the integrity of the whole NFL. So I, I disagree completely on all of these things getting pulled back. It actually frustrates me because I know for a fact, having a younger team right now, the Colts, Carson Wentz, new quarterback, Jonathan Taylor, rookie running back or or sophomore year running back, going to be probably a whole new to a different offense with Carson at the quarterback position, going to be a lot of RPOs. You have Michael Pittman Jr. And our whole receiving core needing to learn how to work with Carson on the defensive side of the ball, we do have older players, so they do need to get their rest. But we have a lot of young guys. They're going to need a lot of reps. Darius Leonard, you know what I'm saying? We do need our, our safeties to get you know, reps together because they had some injuries 
So again, that's just my team. There are plenty of other teams out in this league that are going to need all the reps possible. Philly, Jalen Hurts needs the reps. Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott missed the whole year because of injuries. He's going to get need to get back in the groove and mm-hmm. so on and so on and so forth. It's the point. Certain players, Tom Brady, 44 years old, maybe he doesn't need to do every single ounce of training camp. It's, it, it, there's certain players on the team that are exceptions, but to just cut the whole thing in half for, for, for a small percentage of the league, to me, is stupid. And again, that's, that's all I'm going to say on it. I disagree. The CBA, I think this time going around from what I read and what I understood, it seemed to be financially mainly focused rather than player focused. And it, that's kind of just where sports are going right now. It's If it's not political, it, it's business driven. And sometimes people forget these players have humans, they have bodies, they have families. And, you know, I get that they have to play to get paid, but it's a business. Dude, if, if, if you limit practice, if you limit you know, the opportunity to get your body back in the groove, dude, you could get hurt. I mean, you can get hurt uh-huh. in OTAs too, obviously, but I mean, it's like everybody says before you play a game, you got to stretch. You can't just go into the NFL season with two preseason games and be like, yo, I'm good. What? Your body's not going to get acclimated that fast. So, you know, it is what it is at that point, man. That, that, the CBH seemed a little off. That's why those preseason games, I know people don't think that they matter, but they do. They matter a yes, lot, especially to those, much. especially to those younger guys that are trying to make a name for themselves, try to get one of those last roster spots available on the team. It's everything to them. They just want to make it, bro. I I know a lot of times, a lot of these teams will put their starters in, mostly in the second and third preseason games. I think in the third one, they may typically put them in for most of the first quarter, maybe a snap or two, or a drive or two in the second quarter just to kind of get their reps up and just to kind of get them acclimated to some sort of game some some, some sort of game play exactly so but for those younger guys they need those reps as much this as is detrimental get. dude this is gonna hurt them i i'm just saying like how are you gonna be able to prove yourself just only on the practice field you need those game reps and in the preseason that's an ample opportunity for those guys to go out and make a name for themselves. Ain't no red jersey in the preseason. No. So they're, they're no. not getting hit. Quarterbacks aren't getting hit. They're not getting pressure. They're not getting rushed. They're not running for their lives because at the end of the day, preseason or not, the guy that's chasing you is trying to make the team too on his side. So he's coming for you as hard as humanly possible. I mean, it was like, granted, I know this is a different sport, but it's like, it's what Bradley Beal said the other day. He said, there's only 400 jobs in this league. And he was telling a bunch of these AAU kids, look, I know none of you guys can guard me right now. It's like he was basically telling those kids, it's like when you get to the league, you got to play me. You got to guard me. Yeah, I'm your competition. And, and when and when you go one-on-one against me, I don't care what sport it is, whether it's the NFL, the NBA, it doesn't matter. You got you to outplay me. You got to outplay veterans that have been in the league five to ten years plus that know the game in and out. Granted, you can make a name for yourself coming into the league, but you're going up against guys that have been in the league a lot longer than you have and have a lot more experience than you do. And they're not going to willingly just give up their job to you. So, you know, for those younger guys, if they understand that going in, then they'll be fine. Then they got to maximize their opportunity. But with them not even getting the opportunity during the play during the preseason, like they did last year, it makes it a lot more difficult because, okay, now you're just going 
you're going more competitive against your teammates, but you don't get the opportunity to actually go against your opponent against another team because you could do get, you could do practice reps all day, but you have to execute them against an opposing team to kind of see, okay, can I actually go up and outplay somebody, not only just on my team, but against opposing teams as well. Dude. And it's, it's gonna, it's, you know, it's gonna come down to the nitty gritty of what you do in your spare time, your free time. Like Carson, I know is already throwing with Michael Pittman in the wide receiving core out in LA. I know for a fact, Cam Newton's already working with his new teammates because Cam just, that's what Cam does. Cam loves to work all off season. Cam loves to grind. We all know his Instagram posts are probably the most annoying thing in the world to read, but we all know the type of player that he is, the gritty type of, yo, I'm out here to work and I'm going to sweat and I'm going to, I'm going to bust my ass to prove the haters wrong. But in cases like those two players, when it comes to the NFL, putting them in places to succeed, Carson's basically going to get four to six weeks to work with a whole new organization. Cam's going to get four to six weeks to work with basically an entirely new offense. Jameis, quarterback competition with Taysom Hill, six weeks. Washington, Fitzpatrick and Heineke. I don't know if it's an open competition, but you got a vet and a young guy that did very well. You're not really going to see a lot from the young guy because Fitzpatrick's going to take all those reps. So, you know, Jalen Hurts, he only played, uh, started four or five games. He's going to need the reps. Yep. So it's just, you know what I mean? It, it, it's it's going to hurt players. And I understand where a lot of people are coming from. Injuries happen in the preseason all the time. They happen in practice, no TAs and everything. Injuries are a part of this league. It happens. Period. All the time. In the NFL. In the NFL. In all sports. Bro, you can tear your ACL. No funny shit. Walking in the supermarket. You know what I'm saying? You step wrong. You're trying to grab something from the top shelf. Your leg bends wrong. You slip. You fall. It, it happens. That's what, yes. That's what, happened contact, John, that's what happened to John Wall. But, yeah, but with contact sports, obviously the percentage increases, of course. You, you, you're putting your body in positions it's not naturally meant to be in. You're lifting massive amounts of weight your body is not supposedly you know, used to, other than you know personal preferences and whatnot. But I'm just saying, when it comes to the sport of football, injuries are inevitable. There is no getting around it, whether you do it in practice or whether you do it on game day or whether you do it I in the offseason. Off exactly. Yeah. So it, it's the point of, don't you want your players to be more prepared so that injuries are less likely to happen? Stretched out, experienced. Okay, I know the playbook. I don't have to do this slide. I don't have to scramble this way. I don't have to not be ready when the play comes. I'm listing a bunch of random ass stupid examples, but it's the point. Without practice, nothing good comes of it. I know AI's famous thing is we talk about practice, but we talking about the NFL compared to the NBA. Allen Iverson did whatever the fuck he wanted in Philly. Yeah, they had some great sets and they had some probably some good plays. But mm-hmm. we all know Allen Iverson was had the ball the whole time, so maybe he didn't need to practice. But an entire fifty-three man NFL roster from first string starting quarterback all the way down to the tail end of the, the the last man on the roster. Everybody needs to know what they need to do. Everybody needs to have reps and everybody needs to be prepared. God forbid something happens and you need to come in this game. You got to be ready to do your job. And the less practice and reps that you have the less efficient you're going to be at your job. And that's it. That's all I'm going to say on that point. That's Ooh, I Brady, just got myself I, I just got myself hot. That's what Brady had to deal with when Bledsoe got hurt. You don't know when you're going to get your opportunity. You have no idea. And, and to kind of put it on the other perspective here, your career can end on one play. Look at Ryan Shazier. Made one tackle. And it was an awkward hit with the way that his, his head went into, I think it was, did he hit Joe Mixon? 
I don't remember who it was. I'm not gonna lie to you. It was either Joe Mixon or Giovanni Bernard. I, I think he was tackling one of the running backs out of the backfield. Just made a routine tackle. His his neck bent back a little bit, and then all of a sudden he starts grabbing for his lower back, and his career is over. So those guys, man, if they're ready to go, they're gonna they better be ready for that opportunity because you could look at somebody like Ryan Shazier. Okay, who's gonna replace him? Is that person ready to go? Did you do? It's next man up. There's no excuses in football. It's next man. Did you go through all the game film that you were told to look through? Did you go into the finer details of the playbook or the scouting report against the team you're going up against? Because, look, you can get an opportunity like that, and if you do not maximize it, that may be it for you. So make the most of it that you can. And, like – like when Kevin and I, like when we talk about th- these players, like we never want to actually, like we're never criticizing like the work that they actually put into their never. game. That's never, that's never the issue. It, it has all to do with execution, their execution on game day and what we see, because we don't usually watch what happens on the practice field, you know, Tuesday through Friday. We don't, we don't see that. We don't see what happens from Monday until Saturday, but we watch what's on Sunday. And I will never go out of my way. I'll never criticize these guys for the work that they put in because I know these guys give it everything that they have. It's just that we, we will criticize them when they don't execute it the way that we expect them to or the way that we want them to or the, the way that we think that they can. That's where, you know, the criticism comes in. And that's a part of this business, you know, like with sports or in life, you know, you do something wrong. Someone's going to say something about it. Someone's going to have an opinion about it. Someone's going to have the complete opposite opinion of that person and so on and so on and so forth. Our thing is when we, when we come across news like this, and when we come across a story that, that kind of breaks and it's kind of you know perplexing to the two of us, we want to make sure that you guys understand both of our points, whether or not we agree with each other or we're on two separate, we're on two separate spectrums of the entire side. The point of the matter is we want you guys to see where we're coming from. We want you guys to have a different perspective on it and maybe add some information that maybe you didn't know so you could develop your own opinion. But in cases like this, where we're talking about the the integrity of the league, the entirety of the NFL, these are great conversations to go back and forth because people don't really understand the significance one game can do to someone's life, whether on the injury perspective or on the financial gain of that, on, on that side. So you know, we, we never really know what exactly we're going to get into, you know, when emotions start going and, you know, like opinions start swaying back and forth, but we know it's going to be great content for you guys. We really, really, really enjoy this part. So um, this part, we're not really going to enjoy, but transitioning into the next topic, the United States men's soccer team has now failed to reach the Olympics in the last three total Olympics. Um, guys, for those of you that are maybe a little hard of, thinking uh the olympics are every four years four times three is 12 um the men's league has sucked longer than some of my nieces and nephews have been alive that is absolutely ridiculous that the men's team is this bad we have literally gone through a whole new team since the first time we didn't make it because 12 years you know you're not gonna have the same roster maybe from maybe four years apart maybe even eight years 12 we've literally probably gone through an entire new team and we can't seem to not even get to it we can't do it 
Kyle, I, I don't I don't watch soccer like that. I don't know if you do. I don't think you do based off of our conversations every day. But I mean, when, when you really think about it, how embarrassing do you think it is for the United States as a country to say, damn, we basically haven't been to the Olympics in, uh, you know, a decade and some change. I think Americans by and large do not care about soccer whatsoever. I can't, I can't say that for everybody, but when the new, when the, when the headline came up about the team not making the Olympics for the third straight time, I'm like, that just kind of is what it is. It's just that soccer is, it, it takes a backseat to the major sports in America, whether it's baseball, whether it's football, whether it's basketball, is soccer even realistically in like the top four, top five sports played in the United States? I I don't really know. I, I would think probably not just because it doesn't seem by and large that we can produce really good talent. Now, are there players, maybe one or two in particular that may pop off every now and then from America? Yeah. Christian Pulisic plays with Chelsea right now. He's one of the better players for Chelsea right now, but he's one of very few players to come from the United States and actually perform at a really good level in international play. And that's what I'm kind of basing it off here. What you guys see in the MLS is basically like the minor leagues of not soccer. Even. Actually, not it's, even it's the minor league. Like nobody, when you see Zlatan Ibrahimovic, go out there and talk about this in his press game, uh, post-game press conferences. He's basically saying, like, I'm the best player on the field, and I, like, haven't even stepped on the field yet. Like, it's just that... The competition is the, nowhere near what the, it is overseas. The, the competition gap from where the MLS is to where everybody else is around the world, and and, to, and I'm talking about the United States men's national team here, too. It just goes to show if we can't make the Olympics for the third straight year, and we didn't even make the world cup a couple years back. So when you fail to qualify for the world cup, you fail to qualify for the Olympics, you lose to a team like Honduras. And I I saw one of the goals that we gave up against Honduras. The own goal, that own goal, right? Dude, it was so bad. It was so awful. Like that, those types of mistakes that's what high school kids and junior high kids make. Not professional about to make the same athletes. Point. It, it looks like they don't care. Like that effort was that I, would look like a lazy pass I, back I, to the goalie, and it just was like it, I don't even know going. if it's a, I don't even know if it's an effort thing. I'm just talking about skill. It's just the skill level is not there. If you were to put up basically where we are compared to somebody, some team like Germany, Spain, the UK, Italy. or Brazil, or Argentina. They would smoke us. And it's indicative and emblematic of just where soccer holds across American sports. It's just not that very high. Their teenage division might smoke us. Kev, you have to understand this. When they get those kids, when you look at somebody like Neymar, you got to look like Barcelona was looking at Neymar when like Neymar was like eight or nine years old. If not Insane. Insane. And the only way for America to really catch up to the rest of the world in soccer is that you have to, you have to instill that type of mentality into kids in soccer nowadays. But 
there's not that sense of urgency because it's just that soccer in the United States is just, I mean, it's around, but it's not. I just looked it up. I just looked it up based off of TV ratings. It goes in order football, American football, the MLB, the NBA, the NHL, and the MLS football association, United States football. Okay. Just top five. But, um, Recently, the women's soccer has been getting a little bit more media attention, obviously, with their success and winning yeah. cups and whatnot. The, the, but, but I'm but, just saying it's a part of it because it's still soccer. The thing is, though, is that the women's team is better. Granted, I think a, I think a lot more people in the United States obviously want the men's team to perform well. But the women's team is going out there and doing what they need to do on a consistent basis. And they've gone through – different generations of players. You look at somebody like Abby Wambach, who was the leader of the team over a decade ago. And then you transition into Mega Rapino, Alex Morgan, and that whole crew. And they've largely succeeded as well. It's just the men just have been unable to even remotely compete against, against similar talent across the world. It, it doesn't matter who they're going up against. I mean, if we somehow get out of just the group stage in the World Cup, for example, that's like a major accomplishment for U.S. soccer. Now, we're not even talking about winning the World Cup. Just getting out of the group stage to get out of the first, like, they set up all these, they set like a couple teams up in the World Cup. I think it's usually like a group of four at first. And then the first two, um, the two best teams from each group, they advance. If we just get out of that group stage, that's like a major accomplishment for U.S. soccer. And that's where the bar is set, and it's set incredibly low. So what's funny is, back to that Ibrahimovic conversation, so every American's goal is to go overseas and play. They make it to the MLS, they're happy, they're ecstatic, but they know for a fact, back in their mind, all right, this is this is a baby step because I, I need to get over there because mm-hmm. I'm going to get paid more over there. I'm going to do what I got to do over there, and I'm going to make a name for myself. International players, when they come here, they know that they're already the best, like Ibra said, and they come here for fun because they know they're that much their, better. Their career, like, their careers Elon, are basically bro, over. Ibra at 35 was still pulling from midfield and knocking. Go- Ibra was still bicycle kicking shit. Bro, I'm a PSG fan. Whenever I do get the chance to watch a PSG game or if it's available to watch the Champions League, I try my best to watch it because I do try to stay somewhat involved in the team. You know, Mbappe and Neymar and Cavani before he left, um, I really just tried to get into it as much as possible. And when Ibra was a part of PSG, which was quite a bit back, obviously, when I was in college, um, he was just miles ahead of the competition already as it was internationally. So when a superstar, a Wayne Rooney, an Ibrahimovic, a a David Beckham at the beginning of the MLS's foundation – when they come here, they make it look that much easier. And that's literally a massive dividend to the amount of difficulty it is to play overseas. So like I was saying, when these American-based teams go out and they play, the people that they are trying to chase, the, the, the level of talent is, is, is just nowhere near. And I think a lot of it has to do with American arrogance of, you know what, we're the best country in the world. So, you know, we're going to play as though we're the best all the time. And it just doesn't pan out that way because you can't compare with talent. It's like, if I'm being completely honest, again, I don't know soccer as much as I do my other sports. 
But from what I'm seeing here and the articles that I've read throughout the day, um, it just seems like America is like, I don't know, to put into it's, to, it's to like, relevance. It's like a shrug of the shoulders. It's like it's, it's like, like the, it's, it's like the cares? it's like the Orioles of the AL East. You feel me? Like everybody want to be the Yankees and the Red Sox, the Dodgers. You know what I'm saying? But you know what I'm saying? You just you down there, bro. Like you just you're not relevant. It, and it's, it's just it is what it is. It's just, but that does kind of make America a little bit unique simply because when you look across the world, soccer is the most popular sport around the world. I mean, when it comes Without to world, a doubt. when it comes to the World Cup, you're not talking about hundreds of millions of people watching the World Cup. You're talking about a billion plus people around the world tuned in to watch the World Cup. It's almost kind of like the Olympics in its own sense because it happens exactly. once every four years. So, but in the United States, it's not treated that way. Obviously, if the U.S. makes the World Cup, I think I think people will definitely back the team as best as they can. But they know good and damn well that that team is not going far. They know that. Because, to be honest with you, our bread and butter is in football, basketball, and baseball. Those are our three. Outside of we're that, we're not even the best. We're not even the best country uh, at playing and, hockey. And to, and to be and to be honest, I'm gonna be honest with you. It's very rare that I ever bring up golf, but when you get Tiger Woods in the mix going for a championship on on Championship Sunday, that has more draw to anything that the MLS or anything soccer related in the United States, as far as I'm concerned. Because, and it, and I'm talking about golf here. Granted, I'm not the biggest golf fan, but when you get Tiger going for possibly winning the Masters whenever it could be again, I'm going to be glued to my TV because it's that if, you know, watching history once again, Tiger going out. The and potential of him bringing another one. Yeah. But but soccer, soccer doesn't have that draw to the majority of Americans. The only time Americans will really get into soccer is if the team is doing well, and this is kind of looking at long-term, I'm talking like 20, 30 years down the road, Something is going to have to happen where either football or basketball takes a backseat and soccer finds its way into like the upper echelon of American sports. Until that happens, soccer is going to be treated as a joke in the United States. And nobody should expect anything significant from soccer until that happens. And it, I find that very hard to believe that something like that will actually happen anytime soon. It just it just sucks though because to a certain extent you can even say that's bandwagoning. No one's really watching when they suck, but they only watch when they do good. Like that's fucking stupid in my opinion, bro. It's like uh, you know when when the Golden State Warriors were ass, as Stephen Curry was like literally like before he came into the league, and then Steph came in, and then the Warriors took off to be the dynasty. Excuse me, that they had and whatever have you. When the Mavericks came into the league and they sucked. And then Dirk Nowitzki's era with Steve Nash came, and then everybody started watching the Mavs. It was just, it's the point. If It's like everybody always says, if you're not here at my low, I don't want you asking, talking to me at my high. So, like, people need to understand that the men's team just sucks. Point blank, period. And when and if they decide to turn it around next Olympics, next World Cup, who the hell knows? What we need to do, shout out to my girlfriend who put me on this, the U.S. women's national team is absolutely disgusting because of their dominance over the last, what, 20 years? Mia Hamm they've, was in the 90s. They've been great. They've been outstanding. They have been stellar. And I know that there's a lot of speculation with equal pay and whatnot, and no one's getting into that. But what needs to be done here is everyone sees how bad the men's team is. 
And the women's team ain't getting love. The women's team ain't getting a lot of love. And they're winning World Cups. They're, they're, they're winning gold medals in the Olympics. They're, they're succeeding decade after decade. It's, I don't know if it's the coaching or the way that the women are just driven in the U.S. to play soccer. I really don't know what it is. But if you already haven't, I think you should tune into the next U.S. women's soccer team game because they're almost favored in every game they play because they're literally that big of a juggernaut internationally. Like these women are that good. Can they compete with the men? Obviously, probably not because men are bigger, men are stronger, men are faster, scientifically speaking, whatever. We're not even getting into that. The point is people need to put some respect on the U.S. women's national team because they are not getting enough coverage and enough love. Meanwhile, we're sitting here, we're literally talking about how bad the men's team is. Like, people need to understand, that's, that's a little crazy. We'd rather talk about how bad a male team is rather than how good a female team is. And I think that that needs to, I think that stigma, that, 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 that narrative needs to change over the next couple of years because if they keep winning, like, a lot of these girls are still young. If they win the next World Cup or the next fucking Olympics, Bro, we're talking about a dynasty internationally. They are. The goal, they, already, the men, they already have that. They already have the the, 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 the men's basketball team, Olympic wise, internationally, they're their own legacy, bro. Like we can talk about Kobe Bryant, the dream team in the early '90s, forever, and everyone's gonna know when they walk on that court. You lose them by fifty, bro. When these women step on that field, these teams, bro, they blew out. I forget two years ago, I was stating to Isabel, my cousin was in town, and I was watching. I forgot what team they blew out. I think it was Thailand. Or something like that. They blew them out by like nine. Bro, who the yeah. fuck scores ten internationally in a World Cup? Ten? I think Spain. I think like, Spain. I think Spain did it a couple of years ago. But I'm just saying, like these numbers aren't normal, and these women are doing it consistently. I just think they need more love, man. Like genuinely, I've been to the She Believes Cup with my girl two times, and they were both amazing games, both amazing times. The the, the players are just you can tell the energy, the crowd for people that genuinely like it. I think if they if, if if they can just get over the fact that the men suck, bring those views over to the women. They're still a part of the country. You feel me? Like, I, I, why I, aren't people watching? I, I think it just generally speaks to the apathy that Americans have by and large of soccer. I don't think I don't think. Listen, I think just soccer by and large in the United States is just not comparable to what it is for football here. What it is to basketball even baseball but that's not what i'm saying that's not what i'm saying you literally I, just said when I, people I, start to win people need to watch they're winning and no one's watching you said america as a whole the culture when because, we win we rally because it's soccer soccer but is if not the men start to win you um, just said they're gonna watch it depends though it's it's that they have to start winning the the men in particular just because but when you look at when you look at the when you look at the world cup Look at the take the World Cup for example. If you look at the men's World Cup compared to the women's one, the men's World Cup is by and large the most like watched sporting event in like that in five year. Like, Agreed. It, no it, one's denying that. It, it, it is that. There's no denying that. What I'm nope. saying is, is that there is more investment into men's soccer. Than there is women's soccer. I'm not taking anything away from what the women's team has done. You have just eloquently stated that the women's, the U.S. women's national team has dominated for probably close to two, 
to two and a half decades at this point. Since we've been alive, bro. I, me and him was playing in like 95, I, 96, I know, bro. I was I know. 94. The, the problem is, though, is that the amount of investment into women's soccer is not the same as men, as the men. It's just not. Is it, yeah. un, is it unfair? It comes down to money. When, when, when you, I'm, I'm just not talking about financial investment. I'm talking about just, I'm talking about national investment. Like from just people that watch sports casually. I don't think when, you, look, I'll give you an example. I remember when the U.S. men's national team, they went to the World Cup a couple of years ago. Granted, they didn't get far. I remember was that with Josie out the door and like Clinton Dempsey and yeah stuff like yeah that? yeah this was this was back with like uh 2012 I believe 2012 oh so Landon Donovan and them boys when when the U.S. men's national team was playing I remember there used to be videos of around the country there was one in particular in Kansas City where there's this big monitor up on the wall in like this major like it looks like kind of like a big mall but in the middle there's like this big screen and that you could have like this kind of like huge pit of people where they watch the game. Dude, people would go nuts when they scored. Nuts. And we're talking about the men's national team. This is not the most – this is not the best team that America has when it comes to soccer. But you compare that to what the women's national team has. It doesn't generate the same amount as exci- as, as excitement. And it largely is stemmed to the fact that I just think that men's sports – Call me a hater. You call me whatever. I just think that men's sports, by and large, are just more competitive and more compelling to watch than women's sports. Is that is that wrong for me to say? Depends on who you ask. But I can look up YouTube videos all day and look at freaking crowd reactions and see the difference. It's just that I'm not talking simply about just financial investment because there's a lot more financial investment that goes into the men's national soccer team than it is the women's. I'm talking about just people in general. When they watch soccer, they are probably more compelled to watch the men's because it is more competitive. I'm not taking away from what the women have done. They have achieved great success in their careers. It's just that men's sports in general are just more compelling and entertaining to watch because it's it just kind of comes with the territory. I don't want to sound like a hater. And no, if no, no, I'm, no, I'm not taking it as a hater. No, no, no. If I'm, it's, it's if I'm coming off it's that factual. way, then I apologize. It's no, just no, no, Kyle, that's, that's, not how, that's not how I'm taking it. And if the audience is taking it, they're not listening to the conversation we're having. Um, genuinely, this wasn't to spark a debate. It's just, it fascinates me that as a culture, as, as an American individual that lives in this country, when the Olympics are on, it's USA all day, every day, because that's the land we live on and that's the place that we grew up. No shit. If Puerto Rico was able to be in the Olympics, I would cheer for them because that's where my heritage lies, but I'm cheering for America because this is where I grew up. Americans as a whole, male or female, no matter what the sport is, it's just it just sucks that we would rather watch the men lose by six goals. I'm just throwing random numbers out there. Then watch the women play an overtime, extra time period game and win a gold medal. Like, it's just nuts. Like, why would I, I, I do? Like, I, I, do. I, I, I know for it. a fact we suck. I'm not going to watch that. I know we are good. Why not just take the attention and just get, 
when they start to win, if you want to leave, by all means, but the women can use all the help that they can get right now. You feel me? Like, bro, they're dominating the world. That, that, that's why you really can't compare. You can't it compare both sports it because, because it, they're not the same. Granted, they're playing the same sport, but it's not the same. It is different. But that I'm just not- saying from a, from, a, from, a, from a global, excuse me, from a national support system as Americans, when, when the, I always find it funny that these random sports fans come out of nowhere, come Olympic time and come like, you know, um, World Cup time. Like everybody wants to cheer for their country, but no one knows anything about their fucking country or no, no one knows anything about their team. The women's team is still a part of the United States. They're women and they don't get they, as much attention. But if the men lost already, they, let's still the, cheer for the country. They're, like they, they're still representing us. That's, that, that's, what, that's what a casual fan is. Like when, look, listen, the Olympics are going to happen in July this year. Do you know every single person that's on the U.S. team going into the Olympics this year? The women's? No, no, no. I'm saying across the board. Like when it Absolutely comes to like, not. like track, I won't like, deny that because I don't watch that, the Olympics like that. that. I that, only watch the Olympics for basketball and women's soccer. That's I'm what, being dead serious. That's what that's what being an American, like an American casual fan is for the Olympics. I don't think that's a bad thing. It's just to show your support. You're su- you're supporting your fellow country men and women going out and trying to compete for a gold medal. I yeah, and that, it I, just sucks that I I just think it sucks that they pay attention to the men's side. Even though the men suck. That's all I'm saying. Women, bro, it's like Proof is in the literal pudding. We're talking four World Cups, multiple gold medals, a legacy left behind with multiple legendary and historical influential players that just aren't getting the same love, man. It's just, I get it. Men are faster. Men are stronger. It might get more aggressive. It might get more physical. It might get more, oh, shit, that was a crazy slide tackle. He fucking flipped or something like that. You know what I'm saying? And then it's like, oh, women are playing. Like, I think we need to get out of that stigma because they're playing fucking hard, too. I get it. I do. It's it's just it's just the level of competition in in yeah. men's. No, it, I know. I can't believe like we're having like this in depth conversation about soccer of all sports. Like this this is the probably one of the most least amount talked sports that we talk about on this podcast. And probably we are like having on this. and we are <laughs> having probably the most animated conversation that we've ever had outside of like when I I'm not going to mention his name. It's just anyway. It's just, it's crazy that we will have a conversation about a sport that we don't necessarily watch, but you can understand, you can read the tea leaves from a distance. Like, it's just that, yeah, the U.S. men's soccer team sucks. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. And the only way that's going to change that is somehow the culture is going to have to change where it flips and soccer is actually taken seriously here in the United States. But when you got soccer, when you got football, Baseball and basketball running the show, no, not gonna happen. Not anytime soon. And and it does listen. When it comes to the women's side of, of soccer, like I said, I have stated this many times already. What they have accomplished in their last fifteen to twenty years is remarkable. It's just it. I will I will say that I think a lot of the issues that that are brought up with the women's national team have nothing to do with their with their achievements on the field. I think their achievements speak for themselves. It's just, should they get a little bit more shine than they do? Probably. It's just that it's soccer. It's just soccer. When you compare it to like baseball, basketball and football here, it's, it's, you can't compare it. 
Yeah, sucks. I know. I, it, it is what it is. Didn't mean to spark a you know discussion and debate. It was, it was good, good bro. But... This was good. I man, I never thought that we could talk this long about soccer. I mean, we turned talk about like, anything, a, son. Or, dude, this was supposed to be like a literally like six seven minute segment about soccer that turned into a thirty minute one. And that's fine. I love it. This is what we're here to do. We're here to provide entertainment for you guys. And as you can see, that was as fucking genuine as you can get. And you're only going to find it here on the Neighborhood Podcast. You feel me? You want to you wanna see more of it, you hit the, the subscribe button. You hit the like button. You comment below. Let us know your opinion. Shit, we go at it with y'all too. You know, y'all you want know, that smoke? You know where to find us. You know what's crazy? Is that we talked about soccer before anything related to the NCAA tournaments in basketball. Yeah, I know UConn just got to the Final Four for like the 13th straight year oh, for women. Beat, oh, they beat Baylor? They, by two, yeah. That was a really good game. Yeah. That was a it, really it's good a, game. The, the headline, the header that came down said it came down to the wire. Because that, that was like back and forth. I was looking at that on Twitter, and I knew it was close going into – I think I checked it at the third quarter, and I think Baylor was up by three. So, yeah, if the UConn won by two, that that's a really good game. But Baylor is – Baylor's always been one of those great teams that always competes for not only just isn't college four, isn't college done in halves or women are women are the only ones that do four women do four quarters and honestly I think the Got men it. should do four quarters too I don't know why Same, do twenty straight halves. minutes is ridiculous yeah I would rather them do four quarters just because I I just think four quarters is just a better overall game to watch than two halves that's just me though what do I know yeah, right what what do we know shit exactly I, I mean we talk about soccer bro like. That's that's a big step for us. Big facts. That's a big. We step. out here getting. We out here bringing diversity on the channel. Everybody can't exactly. say all we talk about is the same shit. Yeah, don't be surprised on the next episode that we talk about lacrosse or freaking Quidditch or something like that. Next, I played lacrosse. I couldn't talk about lacrosse. I like that. I'll watch some videos and catch up real quick. I know Chris Hogan just signed to the uh, professional lacrosse league just a couple. I did ago. see that. That was a little weird. I didn't think he'd pass up some money because he's a pretty solid receiver. But he, but he played. Uh, he played lacrosse in college. In college, yeah. Yeah, so it doesn't surprise me that he went back to something that he already knew. Said, fuck it, I want to get my, my ass beaten up crossing the middle. Might as well just play some lax. Not that lax is less contact. It, it, Lord it, knows, I've seen some people get laid the fuck out. Yeah, but you can get crossed in lacrosse too. Big facts. Cr- oh, my cross, God. I love it. Up. I love it. I love it. I love it. So much fun. If you oh, haven't yeah. lacrosse, try it. It's great. Oh, yeah. I mean, it. Maybe they freaking whip that thing through, bro. I got, like, I got my, I got my, I got my stick in the closet. Haven't, haven't, you know, brought her out in a while. But you know, don't make me bring Serenity out here and put somebody down. I, I just don't have the endurance and stamina to play lacrosse, bro. That's Hell no, man. I was, I played a little bit in college. And I said, "Holy shit, coach, this is what it is." I said, uh, "Yeah, that's why you ain't playing." I said, oh, "I got some time, bro. You could stick me as the goalie. I ain't going anywhere." You sure you get, want to be hit in, in, with that damn sphere that's like a rock coming at you like 100 miles an hour? I'd rather do that, get a really cool save, than run for – I don't even know how long the games are played for. I'd rather do that than just run around the field uh, I don't, for I don't remember 20, the dis- I don't remember the, uh, the, the length of the quarters either, honestly. I can't remember. But nevertheless, before we get into another tangent, guys – Unless Kyle has something else, that's everything I have for you guys. I unfortunately got to go check on my little puppy. Yeah, Kev got uh, he's in the puppy. crib right now. Kev, I, 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 Kev, I'm talking about myself in the third person. I would love to bring him on to show you, but last I checked, he was asleep. And it's been about an hour and a half since we started recording. So I got to make sure I still have the house. So if, if that's everything we got for the episode, you know, like I said, like and subscribe. 
Come and let us know what you think about any of the topics of the conversations. Obviously, we had Dawson on. We don't mind having other people on if you let us know in advance. Um, obviously, all of the content will be available tomorrow morning between YouTube, uh, Spotify, Anchor, and whatever have you. But for me, that's everything. I really appreciate all the love and support. And I uh, hope to see you guys soon next week. Yeah, I don't have anything else on, on my end, you guys. So obviously, Kevin and I will come out with another episode later this week. I don't know I, I don't know honestly what we're going to talk about yet, but Kevin and I will probably figure that out, figure it by, out. by Thursday or Friday. So, you know, expect the episode to be out by Friday. So you guys will 100%. be in tune for that. So, But with that said, you guys, that'll wrap it up from here. Once again, thank you guys for tuning in, and we will see you guys later next week. Later, everybody. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. No more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid. Electric acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together, we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today.